You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. There is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity. I pledge that I will serve you with integrity and humility. The most important objective for our country right now is stability. Governments cannot eliminate volatility in markets. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the show. Today we're hearing that we're finally going to get a message from the government that we haven't had until now, which is by itself quite surprising. Yeah, a £25 million public information campaign about using less energy. Now, you remember that uh, uh, both of uh, our recent Prime Ministers, Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, were resistant. back that far, yeah. <laughs> yes, so many PMs were resistant to the idea of having public information campaigns uh, on turning down the thermostat. But they're actually going ahead with it now, finally. Uh, and the advice is to turn down boilers, switch off radiators and empty rooms, and uh, take showers instead of baths, uh, among other things. Like, look, this is things that people are doing already, right? But it has been quite unusual, particularly if you look across the continent, of how the UK government wasn't telling people overtly to do that. And actually, because they were pushed on this point quite a lot, and I mean, we spoke to MPs on this programme about this as well, and they were saying, well, you know, that isn't necessarily the right message to be giving people. Whereas if you think, you know, in France, where they have the uh, adorably directly translated expression, energy sobriety, um, they've been talking about that since the start of the summer. And, the, and their full information campaign was rolled out, you know, nearly two months ago now. I don't, I don't know if it's a British thing, but I do think it's quite awkward for politicians to, to, be, to be seen to be telling people to do things or not do things and they do come sometimes get in trouble for this i think with I mean, energy, they are the government they are the government but people don't like being told what to do by politicians i don't know it's a particularly british thing but it is it's thought it's tricky ground for for governments i think yeah so I but think, this this is the story that the times is reporting today anyway that we will be eventually getting this this public information um campaign something else that caught my eye and is worth a look actually you can see it on the bloomberg website uh, an article by the bloomberg editorial board talking about brexit now we've been talking a lot about how this has resurfaced in the political agenda on this show recently um this editorial really lays out the argument that the uk should be seeking a closer relationship with the eu it says brexit is a proven failure pointing to the economic data and that limiting the harm from this quote historic error should be the government's top priority they've looked at the idea of a Swiss style arrangement acknowledged that it's not necessarily ideal but saying that there could be a version of that that might work for the UK and the argument in this editorial board piece is that something that Rishi Sunak's government should be looking at so worth checking out if you've got time Yes, and as you uh, pointed out the EU hates the idea of a Swiss style arrangement because it's so. extremely it's like Swiss cheese <laughs> extremely complex and a mess well not the Swiss cheese <laughs> if you melt it yes it's a mess <laughs> yes. I love Swiss cheese.
Right. Uh, okay. Let's let's move on. The Chancellor Jeremy Hunt uh, says he's asked the Treasury to look at how much money the government could raise by taxing wealthy foreigners who enjoy non-domiciled status. Now, non-doms are British residents who are not domiciled in the UK for tax purposes. Uh, Jeremy Hunt was speaking to the House of Commons Treasury Select Committee, talking about why he hasn't already scrapped this status. I want to make sure that wealthy foreigners pay as much tax in this country as possible. Um, Ireland has a non-dom regime. France has a non-dom regime. Um, These are people who are highly mobile. And I want to make sure that we don't do anything that inadvertently loses us more money than we raise. Well, the Chancellor also went on to say that he believes that non-doms pay around £8 billion a year in tax in the UK. Well, let's talk about this uh, with Bloomberg's John Stepek, who's the author of the excellent Money Distilled newsletter. John, thanks so much for joining us on the programme. Oh, thanks for having me. That's, uh, please talk us through the, the non-dom issue in the context of, of, the, of the, the tax system. Uh, how important is it? Look... <laughs> The non-dom issue keeps coming up because obviously it's highly political. It's it's rich people getting advantages that normal people don't get, and that is always going to be a political hotspot. Um, the problem is, I mean, Jeremy Hunt is is right. I mean, those figures are from HMRC. That's the estimates for 2020, 2021 tax year. So it's about eight billion they paid in income tax, CGT, and national insurance contributions. Now. That's in the context of a $350 billion annual take from income tax, NICS and CGT. So I'm all for looking at it again. I'm all for kind of like thinking about, well, what's the best way to milk wealthy foreigners without you know having them flee the country? But at the same time, it really is tinkering around the edges. There are far greater issues with the tax system in this country that are damaging productivity and uh, tax and aspiration, actually, in, in my view. Um, and it boils down to whenever you look at the... Because, uh, well, basically this week, I've been looking at marginal income tax rates in the wake of the autumn statement. Yeah, this is a fascinating piece that went out in the newsletter um, earlier this week. And it's and it's this idea of, you know, how, how depending on how much you earn, how squeezed you are for tax. Mm. Fiscal cliff edges. Yeah, I it's uh, and yeah, thanks to my editor Marion Dakers for coming up with that. That was a great headline. Um, but no, so so in this country, you kind of think if I say to someone, "What's the basic rate of income tax?" Most people turn around and say, "Well, it's twenty percent." It's actually it's not. It's not anywhere near twenty percent. We've got two income taxes in this country. We've got the one called income tax, and we've got national insurance contributions. Now, technically, or sorry, theoretically, national insurance contributions are what pays for your state pension. But in the UK, state pensions are paid out of current tax income. So nobody, you, there is no pot with your name on it that your next contributions have gone into over the years. That is actually different to a lot of European countries, or it's, it's sort of different. But effectively, mm. next is a second income tax. So after you earn £12,570, which is the 0% rate, your marginal tax rate is 32%. So 32 pence, and every pound you earn above that goes to the government. Once you get to the higher rate tax band, which is 40%, your your next goes down to 2% from 12%, so you're going up to 42% at that point. There's then this scandalously high bit between 100,000 and 125,000. And that's 60 Yeah, it goes up to 62%, Mm -hmm. and that's because your personal allowance gets withdrawn. And then after that, you're at 47%. But... This is not even the worst of it. Um, And where I think 
the question of the uh, you know intergenerational unfairness is a big deal at the moment. Yeah. Um, understandably because of house prices and, and all the rest of it. Um, so basically, if you get a student loan, you're having to pay it back at nine percent of your income above twenty-seven thousand pounds. I'm sorry, I know I'm bombarding you with figures here, but in effect. If you're a recent graduate and you're earning thirty thousand pounds, your marginal income tax rate is forty-one percent. And if you're a, a graduate, say somewhere into a career, you're doing quite well. You're maybe in, in the city. You could be paying sixty-two plus nine, right? Yeah, aye, seventy-one percent. And you know what's even worse? <laughs> so I pile this on. If you're a postgraduate and you did a postgraduate degree and you were naive enough to take out a loan for that as well, you have to pay six percent on that. So you could be paying 15% on top of your marginal rate, which is 77% for someone earning over £100,000. And of course, the one of the things that we had in the autumn statement was this idea of thresholds being frozen, the fiscal drag that will mean... So this actually will be something exactly. that as if people, even if people are getting inflation-linked increases or somewhere pay increases, which are, which are happening in many sectors at the moment the likelihood is the greater proportion you're going to be paying of that in tax in years to come. Absolutely. This is going to get worse. And I think that's, that this is the other point. It's like the non-DOMS thing is such a hot button because it's a kind of, you know, politics of envy but type thing. You we can tax the rich. But this is not the rich we're talking about here. Yeah. You know? Just on the non-DOM issue, one of the, the things that's often talked about is the idea of people will leave the rich people will leave. Where will they go? And and I suppose one of the arguments that we heard Jeremy Hunt making was was that other countries have a non-dom tax. And like you know, if you look across the across the Irish Sea to Ireland, it has a very a regime that's constructed in a largely similar way to the UK for obvious reasons. And you know, is that a real risk? Does does that actually matter in the overall kind of how much the UK government can actually get out of these rich people? I mean, I, th- I think it's a, it's a good question. I think it's one of these things that is almost impossible to answer. There is a point at which if you tax people too much, they will make, they will arrange their personal arrangements in such a way as to avoid that. We saw that in the 70s over here. Um, and that probably matters because a lot of these people own businesses, they bring a lot of money. But I think my, my, main, my main sort of feeling about this is that it's something of a distraction. Because actually, we'd be better off spending time kind of broadening the tax base. Because the other thing you need to think about, and our tax base has got narrower and narrower. Mm. And I'm very much in favour of taking lower earners out of the tax system where possible. But the problem is that the the narrower that that has become, the more that you are dependent on uh, kind of smaller like sources of, sources yeah. of income that could evaporate if. This is the idea uh, you know, that are, we're paying kind of the majority of our tax in, in an income tax, which is quite direct and not necessarily across a whole range of other taxation. Or, yeah. you know, ha- what are the options to, to broaden that base? Well, I mean, it was interesting. I was actually lucky enough to go to a, a talk with Mervyn King, um, actually in the basement here the, earlier this week. It's famous venue, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. We have a lot of good talks. <laughs> and he, uh, he made the point that, look, you know, um, going back to the, the kind of old kind of Nigel Lawson regime, a 25% basic income tax and 40% higher rate tax would broaden the tax base, be much simpler um, and you know easier for everyone involved. And I, I think the other issue we have to remember is that the, there's this sense that we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. It's, it's helpful for everyone to be paying at least a bit of tax so you get that 
sense that well because the thing is everyone is happy to put up taxes on anyone who earns more than mm. them I mean again that's why the non-doms are such a target it's why most people who aren't on the verge of earning six figures will not be getting the violins out for the 62% marginal tax but, rate but but as you say this has been deliberate government policy hasn't it it's to lift people yeah. out of income tax because people earning eight or nine grand who used to pay income tax a few years ago it's really not a lot of money and they're having money take away from the government off and then receiving benefits to subsidise their yeah. families so the idea is to take them out so it was it was sensible policy wasn't it but as you say it does lead to the risks that therefore people feel they don't have a stake in the in the system yeah and this is something that John I know you're going to be unpacking as well in future Money Distilled newsletters as well and we will have you back on to talk about that um, very, well worth um, subscribing to the Money Distilled newsletter on Bloomberg John Stepek thank you so much for joining us in the studio success is more than the final destination it's a path you take one step at a time it's discipline it's teamwork and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, the Supreme Court in London has dealt a blow to the SNP's plans to hold a second independence referendum. It ruled that the Edinburgh government cannot call a referendum without Westminster's prior approval. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon says the SNP will use the next election to show how many people support the idea of an independent Scotland. And for more, we can talk to Tommy Shepherd, who's the party's constitution spokesperson and MP for Edinburgh East. Tommy, great to have you with us on the programme. What is the SNP's plan now? Good to be here. Um, well, we need to consider uh, and digest the judgment yesterday, but it, it, it seems that on the face of it, we now have a gaping hole in the British constitution because what we thought was a voluntary union of nations within the United Kingdom now appears to be in a situation where one component of that partnership cannot choose to review its relationship or to choose a different path. And that is a completely new situation to what I've been used to for my entire lifetime, to be honest, because on both sides of the argument about Scottish independence, it has been there's been a broad political consensus that whatever Scotland's relationship with other parts of Britain, it's a matter for the people of Scotland to choose and to consent to that. And yesterday's judgment has overturned that principle. So this is a problem not just for supporters of Scottish independence. I think this is a problem for anyone who cares about the British constitution being coherent. And our first demand would be that the government ought to rectify this problem and it ought to amend the legislation to allow the Scottish government some process by which it can review its relationship with the United Kingdom. The the absence of that, it means effectively we're not members of a voluntary union. We are captives in a political structure which we are unable to change and unable to leave. And that is extremely unacceptable to most people in Scotland. Well, Westminster did have to give its consent last time, didn't it? I mean, Scotland is part of the UK. You think London should have, Westminster should have no say in this whatsoever? Yeah. No, but it was it was absolutely established uh, last time that if people in Scotland wanted to go in a certain direction, then Westminster would consent to that. That's why Alex Salmond and David Cameron came to the agreement that they did in 2012. It now seems that all of those understandings have been thrown out and the rules are being rewritten and it does need to be 
resolved. Now, we know in the, in the SNP and the Scottish government, we know that the first step to independence is to demonstrate that a majority of people who live in Scotland actually want that to happen. We would hope to do that through a referendum. It's the cleanest, most efficient, most obvious way to do that. But if that is denied to us, then we will need to find some other democratic mechanism by which people can express their view in this. And that's why we're looking at the option of, if you like, repurposing and existing democratic events, such as a, a general election, to allow people to have their say in what is what for most people here is the number one issue of the day. So, so how do you? Well, I mean, we'll come back to that point in a moment. But how do you do that technically? Because an election is is people voting on a myriad of issues. They're also voting yeah. on local for local candidates. I mean, you're voting on the, the person in your constituency, and not always. It's usually a combination. Polling tells us of personality issues and and bigger issues facing society as well. So, how would you effectively run a campaign in that way if you want it to be about this single question? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not kidding anybody, right? We accept that this is uh, what the Americans might call suboptimal. I mean, this is not a situation of our choosing, uh, but it's something we are obliged to look at because it's the only means left to us to allow people to express their democratic view. I I can't answer your question in detail. We're going to take a couple of uh, months to actually look at this in some detail. It's not just a matter for the SNP, obviously, whilst we're the the biggest pro-independence party. There are others, and there are a lot of people, even in the Labour, Liberal and Conservative parties, who might vote for independence. So we we need to find a way in which a general election can allow them to express their view in this question. It might, I mean, what, sorry, well, what, I mean, one of the ways you might do it is to have uh, some sort of uh, pledge or declaration which individual candidates would adhere, would, would sign up to and say, if you vote for me, uh, this is what I will do with that vote. And you then aggregate all of the votes and see if you've got a mandate for a majority. So, Tommy, talk us through what happens then. So the next general election, the SNP come first, which, as you have come first in, in all elections for some time now in Scotland, that sure. wouldn't be a surprise. What, what happens then? Well, we, we need to work that out. But if we've got a situation where a majority of the electorate voted for candidates or parties who wanted to move Scotland on the route to independence, then one would hope that that decision would be respected by the United Kingdom government and we would begin a process of discussion about what legislation would be required to make that happen. Uh, and, you know, I would if, if the UK government refused to do that in a situation where a clear majority of the electorate said that's what they want to happen, then I think that would make the UK government look extremely silly in in the eyes of the world. And we would then look at trying to appeal for international support to bring them to their senses and be, get them to the negotiating table to have a discussion. But we, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, to be honest, I mean, because the first step in all of this is to try and find a way to allow people in Scotland to express their view in this, given that the the usual mechanism of having a referendum is for the time being being denied to us. Uh, and we need to do that first. And we, you know, to be honest, the most important thing for us today is the same as it was before this judgment, and that is to persuade a majority of our fellow countrymen and women that independence offers the best solution mm-hmm. for a prosperous country. And, you know, Opinions 50-50 at the minute in that, I would say. We need to do better than 50-50. So that's still the main focus of our campaign. It's about the arguments for independence as opposed to the processes and mechanisms for getting there. Yeah, well, I mean, the poll that was done yesterday by Find Out Now for Channel 4 News did 
that 50-50 result is, is what that poll found, just over a thousand people. But when asked what was most important to them, only 26% of respondents said Scottish independence and 61% said the economy and public yeah. services. So, you, you know... But, this is a, but that's, a, that's, that's surely a false dichotomy because the, the, the people who oppose independence try and accuse people like me of... Uh, you know, of of distracting the debate and and, and indulging in debates which are, are not about the bread and butter issues facing people with the cost of living crisis and and everything else. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. The whole argument about independence is to have the political agency, the political power, to be able to change policies that are all about the cost of living and the the the, the economy, whether that be your household economy or the national one. So, independence isn't an abstract concept. It's about having the power to actually do things and make changes. Uh, and we will make sure that, that that is linked so that we don't have this false dichotomy of are you interested in the cost of living or are you interested in constitutional change? The two things are, are the same. They are both different sides of the same coin. The Tories in government of Westminster, particularly Boris Johnson, have been a very powerful recruiting sergeant for the SNP, haven't they? Will voters be keener to look at the alternatives if uh, Labour end up winning the election? Well, again, I don't want to get ahead of, uh, ahead of ourselves. We're, you know, there's a long time between now and the general election, and I don't underestimate the capacity of the Labour Party to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. So <laughs> who knows Who knows what's, what's going to happen? But clearly, uh, I would welcome a change in the UK government because what we've had now for years has just been intransigence and denial. Uh, and, you, you know, the UK government can't keep on doing that. They, the reason why this matter ended up in the Supreme Court in the first place was because last year in Scotland, people elected a Scottish Parliament with the biggest majority ever pledged to move to a second referendum on independence. That was what people voted for. And in a democracy, people ought to get what they vote for. And the refusal of the UK government to even discuss this, I think, is just a, you know, is a democratic outrage, to be honest. So I would hope that any change of government might bring a change of attitude at least to get a dialogue going and to have some respect for Scottish public opinion and the results of Scottish elections. Uh, and to be honest, the more they refuse to do that, then the more they make the argument for Scotland becoming an independent country and people deciding to take power into their own hands because it really doesn't play well here. Well, has the SNP or should the SNP start a dialogue now with Labour, given that they are so far ahead with the, in the polls, to to negotiate that into into what happens after well, the next election? Well, um, we would love to talk to the Labour Party, but I'm afraid they don't want to talk to us. So, you know, that's that's rather difficult. And, and it's a strange situation here because, of course, I mean, a lot of Labour supporters very, very comfortable with the idea of Scotland moving to become a, a, an independent country. Uh, with, of course, a very close relationship with England and Wales and working in a British context, but having the powers here in Edinburgh to do the things that we need to do, that is uh, very attractive to a lot of Labour supporters uh, who still vote Labour today. So, it's, But unfortunately, the, the Labour leadership don't seem to be open to having that kind of dialogue. I would welcome it. My guess is, though, that we're not going to be able to achieve that sort of discussion until after the votes are cast in the next election. But once that happens, then... There could be a whole new world to play with. Tommy, I want to ask you about a, a report which caused quite a storm uh, this week. Uh, a paper seen by the BBC which said that uh, NHS Scotland was considering creating a, a two-tier system. Those are the words in the paper where the, those who can afford to go private 
are encouraged to go private. Is that the right solution to Scotland's uh, underperforming health service? Well, of course it isn't, but that's also fake news. <laughs> the most egregious example of fake news that you could probably cite. Uh, what we're talking about here was a, a brainstorm discussion among senior managers where the notion of, uh, of, 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 of a private healthcare system was talked about and then dismissed. And it is absolutely clear that no one in the senior management of the health service in Scotland and no one in, uh, in, at a ministerial level in the government would entertain any idea of privatisation in the health service in Scotland. In fact, we have been resistant to it. And many of the aspects of the NHS in England, which have introduced the private sector, this has not happened in Scotland. And we will defend to the death the idea of a public NHS, which is free at the point of delivery and universal for everyone. Okay, Tommy Shepherd, uh, SNP MP for Edinburgh East and the party's constitution spokesperson. Thank you very much for joining us on the programme. But that's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you usually listen. Well, we will be back with more tomorrow. This episode was hosted by me, Ewan Potts. And me, Stephen Carroll. It was produced by Chris Pitt and Zara Manji and Marufal Hussain was on sound. Marufal is going home to celebrate Thanksgiving. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.